If you are uh, just now joining us at Bethany, we want to uh, welcome you this morning to our worship service. Uh, we're glad you're joining us online at a Bethany United Methodist Church where we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and grow in His image. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. Uh, we're in this series on Philippians, and we're going to be kind of working through a piece of it today. Um, I'm going to go back to that verse that is kind of a pivotal verse and invite you to say this with me. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let us be in prayer. Almighty God, we give you for thanks for the sunshine that comes and, and brightens our day today after the blessing of the rain yesterday, and just ask that you shine your light into our minds and our hearts and our spirits today, uh, that we can hear what you want to say to us. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to remind you, at the, the end of, of uh, last week's reading, we had this kind of exaltation of Christ, that this part where, where Jesus, who is the Word in the, in the beginning through whom everything is formed, uh, decides to empty himself, becoming like us, and striving for nothing, literally uh, to the point of being obedient to death, and then having become nothing in death, is raised up from God and, and exalted from God, and so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that under the earth is a reference to, to his passing, his death, his actual death. And so you have this uh, idea that, that the word that's at the beginning and to whom everything is created is once again the word at the end of ages who is above all and over all and before whom every knee bows. And this magnificent kind of vision of this word that's brought through and and in John's gospel you see just kind of a hint of this early on when Jesus appears to the disciples and he comes and he appears to them in the upper room and and you know says peace be with you and they're amazed they're they're overwhelmed that here he is he's resurrected from the dead and they're just filled with this tremendous joy except for my friend Thomas who isn't there that day and so Thomas comes back later and comes to the upper room and they say We've seen the Lord. He's risen. And Thomas says what you and I probably would have said in the same kind of moment, which is, I'll believe that when I see it. And so a few days later, Jesus comes back just for Thomas. He comes back and he stands in the upper room and he says, here I am. See me. Uh, put your hands here where the nails went through. Put your hand in the side where the sword went in. Uh, you know, here I am. Touch me and, and, and believe. And Thomas's response is this double kind of affirmation. Uh, my Lord and my God. And this, this double affirmation is something that, that we use a lot of times. We'll say, my Lord, my God, or like when we are working with our confirmands, we'll talk to them about declaring Jesus their Lord and their Savior. And I think a lot of times we hear that all lumped together as if it all means the same thing. Uh, it does not. And this morning I want to unpack that a little bit for you because uh, Jesus is my Savior is, is, is the part that most of us are, are really thinking about. You know that Christ offered himself on the cross for us and so uh, in, in offering himself he frees us from the power of sin and death in our lives. And so we're set free from that. He saves us from that. Uh, and, and that's what we grasp hold of. It's the free gift that Christ offers us. But the second part of that is to say Jesus is my Lord. And that carries 
responsibility and response with it. Because to declare someone Lord uh, is to say that they have power and authority over us. This is someone who has power and authority. So, so one instance to say he's Savior, this is the free gift that God offers us. And all you have to do is, is receive that. It's given to you freely. But to say Jesus Christ is my Lord is to offer back your life and allow Jesus to be active in your life and to have authority over your life. And that's a different kind of thing. So the question I really want to ask you as we start today is, is, is what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord and, and, and have you submitted your life? Have you given him authority in your life? Um, to go into to this, you know, uh, Wesley would talk about us as being born. Uh, he would talk about us as the natural man or having the mind of Adam uh, using his language, which would mean uh, we're in that place where uh, sin rules in our lives. And, and the marks of it, uh, we talked about a little bit last week uh, in Genesis, you know, where the serpent's talking to Eve and says, listen, you know, if you eat from this, you'll be like God, that desire to be like God, or to go down to the Tower of Babel story where they're going to build this tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. And we use those phrases, don't we? I mean, we talk about making a name for ourselves in the world. We like to have lift up, to, to be lifted up, to kind of have this establishment kind of thing. We want people to know who we are. We want to strive to gain and to achieve. And, and, and yet the message of the gospel is that Jesus descended and strove for nothing. So what does that, what does that mean? I mean, how do we, if this is kind of our natural tendency, how do we move past that? Uh, in the late 70s, there was a song by Bob Dylan called Gotta Serve Somebody. And if you happen to be here at 930, uh, you heard the messengers of great do an outstanding version of it. Uh, and, and Nick, even on the last verse, put on the wig and the glasses and everything to look like Bob Dylan. It was pretty fun. But it was, it was a great song, uh, and, and it came out, and it really hit me uh, when this song came out uh, because it's one of those popular songs that comes out every so often where somebody's just being really brutally honest with you. And the chorus of it says, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And my initial response to that when I heard it the first time was, no, I'm not. I don't have to serve anybody. I can just be myself. I don't have to serve somebody. And, and then I begin to think about that. You know, I, I don't have to serve somebody. I can just be myself. I, I then am serving myself, right? I'm serving somebody. It's me, but I'm serving somebody. But I'm serving myself with all of my weaknesses, with all of my faults, with all of my shortcomings, with all of my sins. And if I'm serving myself, then that means I'm actually serving all my faults and my weaknesses and my shortcomings and my sins, And when I looked over my life, I could really see all the destruction that that was doing to the people around me and to myself. And I had to say, yeah, really, who am I serving? Who am I serving? Who are you serving? I mean, <laughs> Bob got it right. You're, you're going to serve somebody. Your life is going to be aimed at something. And where you aim your life, that's where you're going to travel. But what, that, what is that going to be? What is that going to be? Are you going to serve the devil? Are you going to serve the Lord? 
because you're going to serve somebody. So, so Paul launches into the, the part of Philippians here as he comes into the second chapter, moves toward the end. And remember, he, he's writing to them from prison. It's important to remember that all through this. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And that work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When I, when I was younger and I heard that, uh, you know, because I started off in an engineering kind of track and mathematics and all that, I heard that as, you know, kind of figure it out. Because we talk about that, you know, work out a, a problem. You, know, how to, you, you have to figure that out on your own. And then as I got a little older and I read this and I began to understand that actually in the, in the original language of it, it's, it's not so much a matter of figuring out, but it's working out like what you do when you go to the gym. You know, it's working it out, exercising, living it out, doing it, putting it into practice. Now, salvation is given to us freely by Jesus as a gift of love. But then Paul calls us to, to live that out. And we live it out with fear and trembling because there's still this bit of sin that's over here that may trip us up. But, but we are called to live it out and to do that fully in the world. To serve the Lord fully in the world so that, you know, without grumbling or arguing and, and so that you're pure and you're blameless and so that you shine like stars in the sky in the midst of this world. So that you stand out because people see Jesus in you. You know, it's interesting when we come through this, I mean, he's calling them out from the people around them. You should not look like the people around you. No, no, you're supposed to shine like a star in the sky. You're not supposed to look like everybody else because, you know, if in your living you blend into the crowd and you look like everybody else, then what you're serving is the expectations of everybody else. And we're called to serve the Lord, to give him power and authority. So we should look different from the people around us. We should stand out like stars in the sky that's what it means to serve him fully and I'm, I'm wondering is that is that kind of resonating is that your life is that what your life looks like now I want to be really clear uh, you, you can't earn your salvation that's a free gift of God that's given you out of God's love that's just all you have to do is open your hands and receive it that's given to you freely but then you're called to, to work that salvation out, to, to live it out. Salvation gives us a freedom from the, the guilt and the shame of our sin. It releases us from all of that. But the second part of this bit about being, you know, serving him as your Lord, you know, declaring him as your Lord, that's about living that salvation out. And that's a little different. Now, now to set this clear, the reason you can't earn your salvation is because basically at heart we're, we're all got to realize that we're, we're sinners. And I want to be really clear. I'm, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. Y'all follow that? You know, get what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I'm a sinner. We have to have that kind of bedrock honesty with ourselves about who we are in the midst of the world. And one of the reasons I've, I've loved working with uh, some of the recovery communities over the years is because they, they get this. 
They understand this. They're into this, right? I'm not an alcoholic because I drink, but I drink because I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an addict because I use. I use because I'm an addict. They understand that this is an existential description of who we are. This is claiming that and owning that. And Wesley would have talked about that as the power of sin active in our lives. The power of sin that works in our lives. But, but when we receive the free gift of salvation, what we also have the opportunity is to offer our lives to Christ, to let him be Lord, to come and, and, and actually be the one who has power and authority. And when that happens and the power of God comes to dwell within us, then power is exercised over sin. Power is exercised over sin. So we work out our salvation through this power that's given us. Just like, like everybody in any recovery community will tell you, I get up every morning and I have to work the program every day. We as followers of Christ, we have to get up every morning and declare Jesus again to be the Lord of our lives and allow him to be a work in us. Because I don't know about you, but, but in my life, you know, it's really easy for me to get up in the morning Jones and to be doing some sinning. You know? This, this, is, this is who I am, and, and at some point I just kind of had to be you know, honest with myself about that. This is who I am. This is what I do. But the power of God coming to dwell within us gives us the power, coming through his power in us, gives us the power to overcome sin. Now, now the way that looks is, is not some, um, you know, thing that, that all of a sudden you know makes you perfectly great and you know you don't have any faults or anything like that that's not that's not because we're going to struggle with this you and I we're going to walk through this with all of our lives we're going to have to work this out every day for all of our lives but rather Wesley would talk about it as being made perfect in love Christian perfection and he says what is that it means perfect love it's, it's love excluding sin love filling the heart taking up the whole capacity of the soul it's the love of God being so poured into us so richly and accepted so richly that it drives everything else out before it and it's only that power of God in us that allows us to overcome the power of sin at work in us. Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is Lord. You're going to serve somebody. Who will it be? Hmm. So, so Paul gives us some pictures about what this looks like. He's going to write on. He's going to kind of, in his comments, give us a little idea of what that might be. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I mean, the, the drink offering was literally poured out on the sacrificial altar of the temple. It was just completely poured out. And he's saying, you know, even if my life is being poured out as a sacrifice for your glory, for the, your faith, for, for your growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I'm going to rejoice in that, and I want you to rejoice with me. Yeah, that offering of himself fully and completely, he's, he's given his whole life into this. He is all in for Jesus, even if it means the end of his life, which eventually it will. But he rejoices in that from prison because he has seen the fruit of that in the Philippian and the community in Philippi. He's going to go on then and talk about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident that 
in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I mean, this Timothy, he's, he's this amazing person. And Paul says, listen, you know, what, what marks him is he's not serving his own interests. He, he's looking to the interests of Christ in you. You know, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to be giving him power and authority, then this is what your life ought to look like. You're serving the interests of Christ and others. Not looking to your own benefit, but the, the benefit of Jesus and other people. And Paul says this about him, not just a, you know, as an aspirational kind of statement, but he's, he's saying here, you know, he's been with me in this ministry. I've seen him. I know this. This is real. And what a joy it's going to be to send him to you, to be that star that shines in the sky for you. And then he's going to talk about Epaphroditus. Now, remember, he's, he's in prison. And in this day and age, the prisons weren't like they are now. Uh, the, the Romans provided food, but that was really all they provided. So if you wanted to have clothing and you wanted to have a bed and you wanted to have bedding and things like that, somebody had to bring that for you. Otherwise, you know, you slept on the floor. Uh, and so people that were in prisons relied on their family and their community to come and provide those. Well, Paul's in prison and, and the Philippians are his friends, his community. And so the Philippians have sent Epaphroditus with an offering to him uh, to buy some of those things and provide some of those things that, that the prison is not providing for him. So Epaphroditus has come to be with him in this place. And Paul now is saying, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Now notice that his distress is not over the illness, but over the fact that the folks in Philippi are worrying about him because they heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. I mean, he, he lifts up Epaphroditus and praises him that, that he was willing to come and, and bring this offering, but, but that in doing so, he, he took the chance of, of, of becoming ill to the point of death, and he comes, and, and now that he's recovered, he wants to send him back to the Philippians to bless them and let them see that actually he's well and he's okay. Paul says, he's my brother, he's my co-worker, he's my fellow soldier, he's, he's with me in this fight. He's even been willing to show himself willing to risk his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be all in for Jesus. That's what it means to serve the Lord with everything you have. So I, I just want to read through this. What it, what it made me think so many years ago, it made me question, you know, God, who, who, who am I serving with my life, really? And, and what is it aimed at? Because I can see the damage I've done. So, so how, does, how, how do I redirect that and begin to serve Christ? And, and you know, I'm really asking you the same question this morning. Who is it you're going to serve? Because Bob was right back in the 70s when he wrote those words of that song. And he had that chorus. And he said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. I want you to say that last line with me, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
Yeah, and you know, as Bob goes through that song, he just lifts it up. I mean, he starts talking off, you know, you can be a political bigwig. You know, you can have all kinds of political influence and power. You can, you can change the shape of world politics and the direction of things are going in and have all this power, but you're still going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you know, and um, you may be uh, wealthy, you know, beyond all measure. You may have money coming out of your ears. You may be able to buy anything you want, afford anything you can have, uh, you know, be wealthy beyond all kinds of imagination, or, or you may have nothing and be struggling for the next meal, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I mean, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be famous. You may be known around the world. People may travel for miles around and stand in a long line to come in and see whatever it is that you do. Uh, Your name may be on their lips. People around the world may know who you are. Or you may be the person who stands on the corner and everybody walks by and doesn't even notice you're there. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And you may have a big name. You may be this famous family. People may know who you are. You may be self-important. You may think you're all that. Or or you may just be the normal nobody in the midst of the crowd. But whoever you are, whatever you do, whatever you have, wherever you live, whatever you're in the midst of, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So my friends, who are you going to serve? Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you give us this tremendous gift of salvation, that you free us from the guilt and the shame of our sin, and that you offer us the power to overcome the power of sin of our lives. So give us strength this morning and hear us as we offer ourselves to you because we know we're going to have to serve somebody and we long to serve you. Amen.